I proactively set up a date night for me and my wife to go see The Last Jedi on opening night. For the two years between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, I spent far too much time watching YouTube videos with alleged script leaks or in-depth analysis on The Force Awakens to find out who Rey could maybe potentially possibly be. I experienced such a level of utter and complete disappointment at Rey's reveal. I experienced immediate cognitive dissonance. I rationalized so quickly. Well, I mean, the only thing that could be shocking with Rey's reveal about who her parents are is that she's just a nobody. That's the only thing that could compare to the reveal in Empire Strikes Back, right? 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 Again, we see this movie completely mirror the Empire Strikes Back in a way similar to how The Force Awakens mimicked A New Hope. But this movie was somehow worse. If The Empire Strikes Back was a banana, then this was the most artificial aspartame-injective banana candy. Ray doesn't fail at anything. The resistance doesn't fail. Everyone's a winner. In fact, the good guys win so completely that we need a voiceover at the end telling us about how they actually lost. Star Wars has never had voiceover narration making sure that we understand what is going on. We've discussed the shittiness of Star Wars dialogue at length, especially with the prequels, but Star Wars succeeds at world-building and telling the overall story. But for some reason, The Last Jedi failed so completely that it needed a voiceover to tell us and to make sure that we understood what had happened. At the same time, there are so many scenes that were executed so well. The standoff between Luke and Kylo Ren on crate on the blood-red surface in the sunset with AT-ATs in the background. The Holdo maneuver. I will never forget how the packed theater became absolutely silent, and the only sound I heard was one kid who must have been about five say in utter amazement, Whoa. There were many other well-executed scenes, but this movie failed to artistically justify its existence, and it plunged deeper into Disney's cynical marketing of diversity. So how how do you feel about this movie, like looking back on it? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Will you rewatch it regularly? I just rewatch scenes from it. Like, I like the final standoff on Crate. I like the Holdo maneuver. I love the opening scene with Poe Dameron uh, in general hugs. Like, that was a very light-hearted... That scene was like, oh, this is going to be a Star Wars movie. This right. is what Star Wars is all about. These real light-hearted scenes, you know, and epic space battles and lots of fun. And that opening scene feels really fun. And then you get into the rest of it, and it all falls apart. See, basically, I, right away. I, I think it's interesting that you like that, that, you like that scene so much. Because I've heard so many people like cite that as the, th- the biggest thing that sets up the failure of the rest of the movie. It's like how how would they what's like what's the whole argument there cuz i th- that movie is a star wars that scene is a star wars scene like classic on solo luke luke skywalker swashed buckling right fun. yeah and uh, and i can i can see what you're saying and i don't necessarily have a problem with the scene but i've heard a lot of people say like it's silly it's supposed to you know like it's supposed to be serious and intense these are wars and you know which isn't Star Wars like Star Wars is fun and has some of that silliness but then Mm -hmm. I think where people really feel like that scene took a turn is when Snoke comes up in the big head and he like drags is that in the same scene is that in a different scene yeah with hugs yeah I'm 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 mixing everything up but yeah so 
I don't know. I've, I've heard a lot of people complain about that scene. So I think it's interesting that you like that and that you like the Holdo maneuver too. It was just like to see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. And you've got this loud movie that all of a sudden goes silent. And the only thing you can hear is a kid just being utterly and completely amazed by the whole thing. Right. I think it was that whole experience of it. Like the scene, if I watched it at home on the couch, I'd probably fall asleep. But being in the theater for it and just how it goes completely silent, silent, you really feel like you're in space. And and the kids who are watching the movie are just completely amazed. It's that's what Star Wars is about, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that experience of it and it was for me like the experience of watching it in the theater was huge. Like it was so much more epic and, and like we've talked about before. The sequel trilogy it, they're the only star wars movies i've seen in the theaters and then of course rogue one and and solo uh, which we'll talk about later but those you know those experiences in the theater were really epic but i feel like this this is where things started to turn for me uh, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll talk about how i feel about episode nine in the next episode but <laughs> This this is really where I where I was like I don't know how much faith I have in like the movies I'm watching anymore. Here's the things that I'd say were epic in this movie, like the opening scene, the burning of the forest tree, and bringing back Yoda as like a puppeteer, a, a puppet. Yeah, that was cute. Yeah, the sunset duel that I mentioned already, and mm-hmm. Finn's showdown with Chrome Dome, forgetting her name. Oh, Captain Phasma. That was so awesome because Finn was the only character who they built up stakes for that, that at least that I cared about, right? Mm-hmm. So you find out that he was a child soldier and he was captured and brainwashed and he's just trying to run away from this all. But, you know, at the last minute he kind of finds this unexpected fame and he, he feels the need to fall into that role. But then he just, like, he has this showdown with Phasma. And they only had a few scenes together, but you can tell they hate each other. Mm-hmm. When she makes him go for reconditioning mm-hmm. and checking his blaster for inspection, you know these people hate each other. So when they have a showdown, it's like, oh, yeah, like this is awesome, right? Mm-hmm. I wish they and, would have and, done more with it, though. Exactly. I, oh, exactly. Yes. It's like the character motivations were here for Finn, right? Finn's the mm-hmm. only one who's really got a motivation. Yeah. yeah. You know, that Actually, we're seeing play out. Yeah, Ray gets kind of dragged along. But yes, exactly. And her whole thing's like, "Who's my family?" And it's kind of like Luke. Luke had that thing too. It wasn't so much "Who's my family," but it was like, "Oh, my family's gone." Right. And we felt that loss and his need to move on and get on to other things. With Ray, it was like, "I'm an orphan." And it's like, "Oh my god!" Like <laughs> orphan Annie in a Star Wars movie. Like, tell me a worse combination. <laughs> but then, but I think the the reason the whole Luke thing worked was you see him lose the family that he did have. Of course, you know, like he longed for his father and for his mother, right? He, he thinks about that, but then he's got his aunt and uncle Mm -hmm. who, who love him and who have raised him. And then they die and you feel that and you feel like the last of his family is, is gone. And then Mm -hmm. in the next film, you find out he does have family, but it's the bad guy. Mm hmm. And that works really well. But then with, with Ray, there's like this longing for the family and they make it such a big deal. And honestly, the biggest problems I have with each of the movies in the sequel trilogy 
are the mm-hmm. other movies in the sequel trilogy. Like, it's not the movie itself. Like, Ryan Johnson, in his own right, is a great director, an interesting storyteller. He's creative, and I'm sure he, he does love Star Wars. But they gave him the middle film in a trilogy they had no plan for. Yeah. Right? And so the biggest problem with this movie that I have is the way that it doesn't connect to the other movies in the trilogy. Because J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams sets up this big thing that raise family, raise family, raise family. And then Ryan Johnson is like, well, who, care, who cares who raise family is? Which I agree. Who cares? Like, make a new Star Wars character. Anakin mm-hmm. was a nobody until he got trained by the Jedi, right? He was a slave on, mm-hmm. on a desert planet in the middle of nowhere. That's great. These characters can become somebody, but mm-hmm. they, but the way that they did it, the way that they set it up, and they're like, no, 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 nothing. That's like, I think I remember watching the first trailer, and I remember there's this scene, and it says, "There's been an awakening," and I think it's Andy Serkis, like it's Snoke saying that. There's been an awakening, and at the same time, it's Finn pulling his stormtrooper helmet off, and he's breathing on on the surface of Jakku, and you think. It's like, oh shit, here's our new hero, and he's black, so we know he's going to have nothing to do with the Skywalkers. It's a brand new guy, and he's feeling the Force, and he's getting a call to adventure, mm-hmm. and it's we're starting up again. And then you see the actual movie, and it's like, oh, it's just uh, great. Like, yeah, nothing like the trailer, right? Like, yeah. yeah. There's no new people feeling the Force. Nobody's getting a call to adventure. It's just some whiny orphan slave trader junker girl like uh, the whole the whole trilogy is whiplash in yeah. in the first movie and I think we'll go more into how we feel about the trilogy overall in the next episode but the the first movie it's like all the setup like story for another time you know who who's her parents mm. who's the girl right she's important she's important she's important and then in the next movie it's like oh she's actually nobody and it's like okay and then in the movie after that, it's actually, oh, actually, she's the granddaughter of the most powerful Sith ever. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, give me something else. Yeah. You know, like, why don't we have some consistent storytelling instead of this and what, Like, what an amazing story it would have been to have a stormtrooper who feels the light side of the Force and gets called away to find Luke Skywalker and abandon right. the, how much more of a greater story. That was the story they were initially setting up in the trailer. How yeah. cool would that story be of this random nobody stormtrooper who, you know, gets called upon by all Jedi past yeah. to finally restore order or some crap. It would have been awesome. Awesome. Yeah. 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 And then in, in this movie, what, what did I enjoy? What did I like about this? I, okay, this, this is something a lot of people hated, but I actually thought it was kind of cool. Even though, okay, running out of, like, the fuel I thought was kind of silly and, like, the way that it happened. But I like the idea of, like, a Star Wars siege. You know, instead of, like, this chase, there's, like, mm-hmm. we're holed up here. We're stuck here. And the bad guys are at our door. Like, I enjoyed that. Like, it almost could have been a more self-contained thing, but then... But then mm-hmm. you have these these other parties running around doing these other other little things. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed the the siege idea where mm-hmm. they're, 
you know, they're in this chase and it's kind of slow. I thought that was creative and cool. And I would have loved to see Ryan Johnson be able to take that idea and do it in his own standalone Star Wars film with his own characters instead of trying to wedge himself into this trilogy with no plan. Mm -hmm. I think that his chase scene was like filler, the chase. It's like, oh, I've got all these other, I've got surplus characters Mm -hmm. and they're going to contribute eventually. So I need to do something. Can they just get into a chase? Can we just have like this prolonged chase scene where we just kind of put people on ice for a bit while you know, because he ends up with three main story arcs going on, and it's it's too much, and inserting new characters. And this goes, this is what, like, what I want to talk about with, I, I said the cynicism of Disney's uh, or Disney's cynical approach to diversity. It's like the movie Black Panther, which, you know, African, African African superhero, um, and an African American supervillain, and it's diverse, but the story is diverse. They're not shoving diversity into a story. Right. For right. marketing points. That's what Disney has did with Star Wars is they're like, well, we need a black character. Now we're going to have a woman character. Now we're going to have an Asian woman character. Guys, people are going to love us. Yeah. Equal rights activists are going to love this. Yeah. And then if we can shove in some lesbian kissing in the next next one, I think we've got all our bases covered, guys. But, but very, take very... the lesbian kissing out for international audiences who <laughs> who that doesn't play well with, <laughs> well right? With, right. Like every yeah. everything, like they make these these decisions to pander, and I I guess it's business, right? Like you have to do some pandering, right? Like during Pride Month in June, all these companies are like, we love gay people, and it's like okay, yeah, the individual employees at your company probably love gay people, but, like, this is a business decision, right? Even mm-hmm. if even if the CEO is, like, an ally and maybe the CEO themselves is, is homosexual, but this is a business decision, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they, they make these business decisions the same reason that they shrink, shrink Finn down on the Chinese poster, right? Right, it, yeah. It's, like... We love diversity and inclusion, but only just enough to kind of pander to the people who are going to buy tickets. Well, that like I, I call it like I call it cynical diversity, right? Because it is it is this view of the world that people don't actually care about their causes. Right. They just they care about marketing. Right. Right. Yeah. And and so nobody actually cares about diversity at star wars they care about diversity if other people care about it right and they think that other people will care about it like they think that the fact that they put diversity into star wars will make it more appealing to audiences right instead of being like well i mean like you got kathleen kennedy straight white woman mm-hmm. ryan johnson straight white man like nothing about this movie is diverse so it's like white people shoving. It's like white savior complex. Like it. Yeah, yeah. For marketing yeah. points, and so there is a lot of rage about Rose's character, and I can understand the rage because it's like you shove this token Asian woman character who really contributed nothing to the story. Right. 
the, like the overall story, like yeah, she's key for the story, but you shoved that plot point in there that didn't need to be in there. Yeah. And you manufacture this, and I think that's where the pushback comes from, whether it's conscious or not, is it's like diversity is not a marketing tool. Right. Right. This is the diversity is something that people really hurt and suffer and fight for. Well, Don't market to me like it's Taco Bell. Like, yeah, and 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 the thing is, Rose's Rose's character. It, okay, put put another character in there, sure, whatever. Write somebody interesting to add something, but she didn't add anything. Uh, I was watching. I think it was Cosmonaut Variety Hour. Uh, did did a video talking about this, and one thing he brought up was that Finn could have filled the role that Rose was filling. The whole we we don't fight. We we love people. Finn in the last movie refused to fight. Mm-hmm. He refused to fight. That was his whole thing. He defected. He was a child soldier. And now in this movie, he's looking at child slaves and thinking, oh, man, this is c- cool. You know, check th- check this out. And then Rose is like, it's not cool. I was part of a mining colony. And it's like, he would get that. Mm-hmm. He would get that because he was a child soldier. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so they they made this character to be a foil to the character who already had that character mm-hmm. himself. Yes, yeah. So we're dub- like we're just doubling up on people's stuff, and and I think you could you could see that if they'd started in the main movie with okay, we're trying to rebuild the republic, but we've got a problem with weapons manufacturers and weapons dealers and slavery in the new republic. And that's the new enemy we're fighting. Yeah. If that had been introduced in the first part of the movie, it would have been an, a decent enough storyline. And it would have been a new and unique Star Wars storyline. And then these movies could have justified their existence. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's like, okay, the First Order is the problem. No, wait, actually, rich people are the problem. No, right. wait, arms dealers are the problem. It's like, who's the bad guy? Like, they're, they're introducing new... new Good guys and new bad guys. Right, right. And and, new... and you know what? I, I get the trying to share all of these themes. I liked, I think I liked every single one of the, like the themes that was shoved mm-hmm. into this movie. But you're putting it all into one film, mm-hmm. trying to make the this whole epic thing and have this message and that message and this other one and this other one over here and have a conversation, which... I can appreciate, but the whole idea of fiction is to simplify those messages so that we can take it in piece by piece and really consider it as as it develops and as, as we as, as we view right instead exactly. instead of this whole like we're gonna every ten minutes we're gonna shove another theme down your throat and very explicitly too like every single fil- every single theme in the movie has like a catchphrase. No, mm-hmm. we, f- we, s- we win not by fighting, but by saving those we love. Oh, I want to burn this whole stupid town to the ground because mm-hmm. slavery is bad. Yeah. And, oh, you know, and I even like the uh, arms dealer thing. Oh, they're selling to both sides, right? But even mm-hmm. that is like so explicit. It's like, oh, you know, both sides, right? I don't know. I think I think it could have been better executed if you simplified it. 
Yeah. And made one film for each of those themes. I yeah. like oh, yeah. that's the, I think those are important themes and distinctions to make in Star Wars too. They shoved yeah, shoved three movies into one. Like with the original trilogy, it honestly even with the prequel trilogy, you could probably give a one sentence synopsis, right? Mm-hmm. Try and give a one sentence synopsis of this movie. Like you can't. Too much no. shit goes on in this. It's like a mini series shoved into a movie. Yep. Yeah. And I, I know people have talked about Ryan Johnson, and you mentioned Ryan Johnson being a good director, but Ryan Johnson before this had really not done... He did Looper. Mm-hmm. And the budget for Looper was $30 million. Right. And the budget for Star Wars was $200 million. Right. Big difference. Yeah. I mean, so, it looked great. <laughs> yeah. The, the oh, yeah. effects budget, well spent. Yeah. But, I mean, he did... Oh, and he did The Brothers Bloom, whatever the hell that was. Never never heard of it. Yeah. Like, it, well, it had a budget of $20 million and a box right. office of 5.5. Like, when you look at where Spielberg started mm-hmm. and where Lucas started, they're making, like, $1 million movies. Yeah. And they're working up. And, and that's a problem... I think, like, with the MCU, they curbed that enough. They were able to curb it enough. But sometimes these franchises just get out of control, and it's because they give well, inexperienced directors a lot of money. Right. And I think that's the big difference between these Star Wars movies and the MCU, is that, mm-hmm. yeah, the the Russos, they, they did things like community and arrested development before this. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. those were not huge budget productions that they worked on. But when they got into the MCU and started doing these insane budget movies, they had a lot of guidance on, like, the story, and they knew how to tell the story, and it was story-focused. And then they were able to pass off the other things to the effects team and to the DPs and, you know, whatever else they had on their team, right? Well, you know, like, do you, did you, have you heard about how Feige would, uh, would interview people? To no. direct, he'd he'd like come with a bunch of comic book clippings and your story ideas, and they just kind of brainstorm the movie and pull concept art from comic books. Right, and that's how he'd whittle it down. But he was always in control of what was going on. And it, and it, was, and it was never like it was never like let's take a small budget director and give him free reign to make a Star Wars passion project. Right in the middle of a trilogy. Like, yes. I really think, like, and then after they watched episode eight, they're like, good job, Ryan. You're going to get your, your own full trilogy. I think that would have been great if they gave Ryan his own full trilogy, not mm-hmm. stick him in the middle of, of this thing, mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Hey, so, uh, yeah, uh, just, like, take what J.J. did in The Force Awakens and make the next movie. And it's like, he must have asked them somewhere along the way. Hey, hey, uh, where's this going? And they're like, oh, well, we think Kevin Trevorrow is uh, going to do the next one. Mm-hmm. Ask him what his story looks like. Yes. What? And this is a trilogy. I, yeah. And like getting set up by the world's worst storyteller. Yeah. Like these. J.J. Abrams <laughs> tells the most terrible stories you'll yeah. ever watch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think. These so in the MCU, the movies are less connected 
than in the Star Wars trilogy, right? They're less mm-hmm. connected, but they have more control over the story than in the yeah. Star Wars trilogy. It's one thing after the other, and they're just like, uh, uh, yeah, do whatever you want, just expand on this, uh, and it and it just has to wrap up in the third film. Yeah, I know, like, I know what you're saying, because do you know what? This is what it sounds like. Is because I work in accounting and finance, there's sometimes people are like, oh, these transactions are posting a little weird. And if I'm really, really busy in the middle of the month, I'll say, don't worry, we'll clean it all up when we close the month out and prepare the financials. And then I take a three-week holiday from thinking about this problem, and then it's like, oh, shit, I need to wrap this up and fix this problem. Yeah. <laughs> fix this problem? Yeah. And that's like the approach that they took to the movies is it's like, uh, well, you got JJ, yeah... Like, he wears those glasses, and he looks kind of like a director, but he actually is the shittiest I, at setting things up. So we need you to just kind of yeah do a fluff piece to kind of tie into the millions of loose ends he left. And uh, here's uh, $200 million and just kind of have at her. But then it just throws out the loose ends, though. Like, it does nothing with them. Oh, totally. The well, Knights of Ren? Completely yeah. absent. Yes. Of- what? Where? That's probably that's one of the biggest crimes in the movie. Master of the Knights of Ren. You can't say something like that and then just oh they they're not here. That that'd be like oh my my buddy Lando and then they just skip the whole Cloud City section. <laughs> yeah. Like yes. and then nothing nothing happens with that. But then Lando shows up in the third movie to die. And and they're all best friends. Yeah. 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 Like you can't. <laughs> that made me so mad. That's probably. The biggest problem I have with this is the the lack of the Knights of Ren, and yeah, it takes every it takes everything JJ set up, which JJ I think can set things up. He can do this interesting, like, oh, what do you think of this? Ooh, mystery! Mm-hmm. But he never opens the effing mystery box because apparently mm-hmm. people love nothing more than to have no answers, and mm-hmm. so nothing ever happens with it and we'll get more into that whole rant in the next episode i feel i feel like these these three movies have to be talked about together yeah yeah they don't they don't exist in a vacuum right i'd say like i've i was just on vacation for a couple of weeks i did some reading one thing i read was harry potter mm-hmm. one thing about harry potter is that it is like you never have to think about what you're reading mm-hmm. part of it is cuz it's like young adult fiction. Yeah. But if you read like another kind of New York Times bestseller paperback kind of novel, similar kind of thing, you don't need to think about what's going on in the book. You don't need to think about what the book's trying to say. It's just the story's kind of fun. And that's what these mass market, mass, uh, massive movies are, is they're the same as like your New York Times bestseller list novel. They're not groundbreaking. They're not an artistic demonstration of anything. They're not supposed to be thought-provoking. They're just supposed to be easy to grasp and really fun. Yeah. And it's like Ryan Johnson's trying to make this art house statement where, where you ponder the meaning of whatever, but it's like, that's not what this is for. Yeah. Yeah. This is just to be fun and you're yeah. taking away the fun. Yeah. And I, right? and again, I think he could have done that in his own Star Wars films because I think there's room for that sort of thing in Star Wars. I would love to mm-hmm. see that kind of thing in Star Wars, but you d- we're not given that. Mm-hmm. Like we don't in this in this trilogy, like it, the films don't fit together. Mm-hmm. Like they're yes. all trying to say something totally different. 
They're all telling a different story and you can yeah. feel it. You can feel it the way that they interact with each other, the things that mm -hmm. the characters do in the film, the way Luke throws around this mysterious lightsaber. Ooh, that's a story for another time. Actually, it's a story for never. And he throws it over his shoulder. <laughs> and then you get, um, and then you get Ray being a nobody, even though in the last episode, that was all they talked about, right? Yeah. Could you imagine? Could you imagine watching a TV show where in one episode they're like, all right, and it's the first episode of the season. They're like, this is the major problem. This is the major thing. Take The Mandalorian, since it's Star mm -hmm. Wars, and people listening have almost certainly watched The Mandalorian. Episode one of season two, you've got Cobb Vanth. You've got this little adventure. He picks up Boba Fett's armor. And then you see Boba Fett, you know, at the end watching, right? Mm -hmm. Could you imagine if Boba Fett never showed up in Again. in the rest of season two? Nothing, zero. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, who was that? Ah, that's not important. That was just what we talked about in the first episode of the season. Like, don't even worry mm -hmm. about that. And he just never shows up. That would be insane. That would be like, mm -hmm. why'd, you, why'd you set that up? Okay, why'd you set up Ray's parentage? Why'd you set up the story of the lightsaber. Why did you mm -hmm. set up um, the Knights of Ren? Why'd you set up Finn? Why'd you set up when all of that just goes out the window? Nothing's done with it. Well, I mean, like, there was never a story to be told with these three movies because it starts out with an homage pastiche of old shit. Which I thought was enjoyable. Like, I... Yeah, it's just not a story. It's like, here's another shitty YouTube cover song of some girl singing hallelujah <laughs> for the fan film with unlimited budget time. Yeah. Yeah. So it contributes nothing. It, it's like watching another, your friend doing a YouTube cover again. So there's no story being told here. So in some ways it's kind of like Ryan Johnson tries telling a story. He's the only person trying to tell a story, but at the same time, if you watch this back to back with empire strikes back, there's so much lifted from empire strikes back that this, Again, it's not really even that unique. But of a story. I, I feel like everything's a remix, though. I feel like you could say that with anything. And remember, it's like poetry; it rhymes. Yeah, like Lucas still told a new story in the the prequel trilogy, right? It was a new, like he borrowed a lot, and it, there were scenes that rhymed. But this is like, like they lift just a lot, copy paste mm -hmm. style. It's not a remix, and you even start getting an opportunity to remix Harry Potter into it, and they blow that. Wait, what's the Harry Potter? The lightsaber is like a wand. They start oh. making the lightsaber like a wand, right? Right, and right. And I'm almost expecting that when they're battling over it, that it's going to burst open with the souls of all the people that Darth Vader killed who were innocent. Do you know what I mean? And Darth Vader becomes this Voldemort kind of character. And right, just like it what happens a in of Fire. Even, even though before it was like... You know, when Anakin breaks his lightsaber, he just makes a new one. New and one. Then, and then Luke, Luke had a lightsaber and then he lost it. So he just makes a new one. Gets a new one. Right? But and now, then, ooh, this time it's, it's green, right? It's a, yeah. But now it's like a wand. Like this thing is mysterious and it has power and it's got a story for another time and it's sacred and magical and they're fighting. Over, like, why does anybody give a shit over this light? Like, I know Ray cares about it. She doesn't. Where is she going to make a lightsaber? Right. And also, Listen. also, I think I can see Ray caring about it because it, she wants to be a part of something, right? And you can see, you can see that thread where she wants to be right. a part of this thing. And then at the end, 
again in the next movie more discussion for next time she becomes a skywalker like i can see that that thread you know where she desperately wants to be a part of something and then in the in this movie though in episode eight she finds out she's nothing there yeah everything this whole trilogy is incoherent so i like can i rant about ray or we yeah rant time rant rant about ray we've got time so have you ever read like really shitty young adult fiction can you remember from when you were like in middle school yeah, I tried reading uh, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief once because the girl who owned it was cute, so I right, uh, right. borrowed her book. Right. So, like, you know how characters in those books are always, like, all the good guys have quintessential heroic characteristics and almost no failings, and all the bad guys have every bad characteristic and no good ones? Right, right. It's very, very... And so that's Ray, right? Like, it yeah. is just this real... It's a very, very juvenile character. She is hopeful she's believing she's trusting she's courageous she's brave she speaks her mind even when she goes to for some reason redeem kylo ren she still succeeds in saving somebody else right right she ends up saving everybody on crate she's she does no wrong she makes no mistake right she has no personal failing i think she should have gone with kylo she's <sighs> I think they deserve each other for being so shitty. (laughs) (laughs) And that was what I think became so gripping about The Empire Strikes Back is that Luke lost and he overestimated himself and he wouldn't listen and he faced the consequences of that. And that made that movie real gripping. And at the end, we really feel like we lost. And at the end of The Last Jedi, we lost. The good guys lost and they've got less ships than they had before. But you need this voiceover being like, just in case it looked like the good guys won too much, we're actually this small little ragtag group now, and it's very dire and hopeless. Right. But we're the ember that will spark the revolution to blah, 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 hopeful speech at the end. And I'm like, this is just really shitty. Like, right. they should have lost. Somebody should have lost. Why is well, anybody losing? Made why it are, apparent the that they lost. Raised? What's that? Made it apparent that they lost, right? Yes. Like, yeah. They, they escape onto this thing. All I knew was they emptied out onto these shuttles and went down to the land, but then all yeah. of a sudden now they're only in the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, what about the other shuttles you had? Also, why do those have so much more fuel than your big giant ship? Also, also, why, like, rewatching it? I know mm-hmm. this is something people bring up all the time, but mm-hmm. rewatching it? The whole Holdo not telling Poe thing, insane. Like, absolutely insane. She just doesn't tell him. And then and then at the end of it, uh, Leia comes back and is like, no, she was saving us. We were going to that rebel base. And then he's like, oh, oh, wow, that's, that's genius. You're a genius, Holdo. No, she's mm-hmm. not. She's an idiot because she didn't say, hey, don't worry, we're not going to die in the lonely vacuum of space. We're actually going to go to a secret rebel base. Mm-hmm. And he, like, he mutinies. Like, yeah. he, he takes over the ship with all the other characters. He's clearly not the only one that has a problem with her leadership. When mm-hmm. she could have just said, oh, no, we're going there. Mm-hmm. Like, and then he'd be like, okay, guys, don't worry. Relax. Everything's fine. Like, this guy is clearly, is she worried he's a spy? He's clearly uh-huh. not a spy. 
Have yeah. you like have you seen the damage that he did? It, like I don't know. I I do not understand if somebody has like a, a video essay they can send me on why what Holdo did made sense. That would be amazing. Because you know, I just, it makes I, none. Like I had the same thoughts. I just didn't get to it that way because I remember thinking like, yeah, I really agree with Poe. Poe's yeah. like right. Poe's yeah. got it right here. Yeah, she is shitty. And then yeah. it's like, so you know it when you see it that this movie can't even hold up like in its own kind of internal consistency. It's just not coherent, right? And also, it's, okay, the Leia flying through space. Like, what was that supposed to achieve? Like, well, Leia has force. Force powers, yeah. Like we know, we we know because Luke, Luke told her that she has the force, right? And then and then she flies back, comes back to the ship, mm-hmm. but then she's passed out for the whole thing. She does nothing in the movie. Mm-hmm. She looked beautiful just floating there peacefully in space. That was the end. That could have been like a huge turning point for Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. But instead, she comes back, and she's. It just passed out for the whole movie, and then she comes back at the end to hold Han's dice. Mm-hmm. That that's all she does for the rest of the movie, and I, mm-hmm. I I feel like they just could have cut around her because Carrie Fisher died. Like mm-hmm. they knew that if they were going to bring her back in the next episode, it would have to be with some wizardry. Yeah, so they should have let her die. Yeah, yeah, they should have like made that like the send off, but. Yeah, no, I had a real... I was like, okay, well, that was weird. Anything else? <laughs> I'm all good. I've, I've let it all out. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, think, I think we're good then. Let me, uh, let me read here. I was stoked for The Last Jedi, and my first viewing was very memorable. After a long day at work, my roommates and I went to see the film opening night. Josh went ahead to save our spot in line. But when the rest of us showed up, Josh wasn't there. He accidentally got in line for the first showing instead of the second showing, which was the one we had tickets to. When it was done, he came to find us in line for our proper showing. He said the movie was awesome, and he joined us for the second viewing. I sat in awe of the special effects and sound design, obviously. When Holdo does what's now known as the Holdo Maneuver, we sat in silence until Josh called out, Wow! That's awesome. Which, looking back, may have been a good thing since it distracts from the universe-breaking mechanic. We all walked out absolutely in love with the latest Star Wars movie. But this wasn't all that made it memorable. After the showing, I went to the airport for my very first ever flight. I was flying to my sister's university graduation. So the excitement of this being my first flight, my sister's graduation, and the excitement of having just seen the latest Star Wars film kept me up the whole night, the whole flight, and the whole next day. By the end of the day, I'd been up for 42 hours straight, and I was still talking about how awesome this movie was. Looking back, I think it was the delirium from lack of sleep. Because when I watched the movie a second time at home, it just didn't feel the same. Was it the small screen, or maybe the toxicity forming around it, or the video essays poking through every plot hole? Or... Was it my own realization that this just wasn't a great movie, especially in the middle of a trilogy? I don't know. To be clear, I think Ryan Johnson really is a Star Wars fan. I think he could have made a great Star Wars film, 
But I think the lack of trilogical vision mixed with the most toxic fandom on the planet is what killed this movie. 